We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The top five must-sell running backs in Dynasty plus best ball strategy are the two topics I cover with our special guest, Josh Larkey. Josh is one of my favorite followers on social media. You could follow him too at jlarkeytweets. He uses transparent analytics-based approach when constructing his predictive models. Josh is best known for his work recently on best ball strategy, but as you will see, he is a master of solving puzzles and strategy games in Dynasty, his favorite DFS, and sports betting. Josh has recently developed a course focused on R coding. What the hell is R coding? I asked him that question and he got me pumped up for coding. As you will hear him explain, it's a digestible skill set that will differentiate you from 95% of the field in any data-based industry. In addition to data discussion and strategy talk, Josh does not disappoint with his hot take about selling Najee Harris in dynasty leagues. Enjoy this wide-ranging discussion with Josh Larkey at Josh Larkey tweets on Twitter. Yeah, what we were just saying, that I liked, is that you're talking about like when you're when you're doing fantasy football full time, you you almost don't. You, you're talking about job insecurity that literally tomorrow someone can call you and just say, "Oh yeah, we're not going to need you any longer." Why do you think we feel like that? But we never felt like that in our corporate desk jobs. <laughs> so I was going to say, with me actually, I think it stems from corporate. So I've been I've been kicked around in my my short professional career. After grad school, I go to the Detroit Tigers. I work in their baseball analytics department as an intern. I, I'm, I'm in San Diego right now. I'm from San Diego, and I, I was, I wasn't promised a job, but it was one of those things where they were like, "You're going to get a fair shot." We do plan on hiring these interns full time. Because of my grad school program, I showed up two months late to the internship, which they knew was going to happen. Before I even get a project. I'm just doing little mini stuff. I don't even have my main project. They go, oh, you know what? Sorry, we're not going to be able to hire you. So within, within yeah. a couple of months, I'm like, all right, great. I moved out, packed my life, moved to Detroit, making no money. And this isn't even anything. I go back home to San Diego. I work for the Padres in their business analytics department. About 14 months in, COVID hits. They furlough and fire me. <sighs> and that was, I'd been working with Matt at Player Profiler kind of throughout this, I started working for him in grad school. So I was like, oh, let's, let's make this kind of side gig a full-time job. Matt was amazing with that. How did but you guys, think, how did you guys meet? How did you and Matt meet? So we, we actually met at a sports analytics conference. MIT has a big sports analytics conference each year. And uh, in grad school, they had some conference money and I don't know even, I don't know why they, they gave some to me, but uh, they, they let me go out to Boston and, I just randomly met Matt there. We started talking and he was like, oh, you know, I really need an R coder to help out with the site more. And I was trying to get better at coding. He was going to pay me. And I mean, as a grad school student, why would you ever turn down a paid gig with sports data? So that's kind of how it started. It was just a very mutually beneficial thing early on where Matt wanted some inexpensive grad school labor and I wanted labor in the, the industry experience. So yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. But that's kind of where the job insecurity thing comes from is actually from the corporate world where my first two jobs, uh, I don't know, I, there were, I, I wasn't aware of any performance-based issues that I had. 
right? Yeah, neither lasted very long. So, so here yeah, we are. But you, you know what it is though? It's like when you're insecure about your job, I think it does keep you sharp. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that, that fear of like, Hey, I need to, to do better today. You know, I, for years I worked, um, at direct TV and at CBS selling ad time for the NFL. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. my love of sports goes back, you know, a couple of decades doing that. And, you know, I was just like everybody else, you start in fantasy, you just kind of doing articles that no one reads and you're putting out some tweets that no one sees. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. You know, I, I met uh, Byron and Alex at Roster Watch just from being a caller to their show and ended up, you know, just doing some stuff for them before I came over to Rotowire uh, as a full time person, too. So it, it's it's interesting. You know, you know, what's funny. You could tell a lot by a person, by the fantasy content they consume. I was the, one of the questions I was curious to ask you, what are the one or two podcasts that you listen to from fantasy football perspective or sports? You just don't miss it any week. So I think one of my favorites for going on a couple of years now is JJ's podcast, Late Round Podcast. Yeah, it's good. And I think that I try and listen to podcasts where the person podcasting is clearly better at something than I am. Since in addition to just enjoying listening to podcasts, I like to improve myself. And uh, if anyone out there has ever listened to my Codebreaker podcast, they're a lot longer than JJ's. Uh, pretty much everything that's on the Roto Underworld Podcast Network, we do long shows. And I really like how he does these little bite-sized 20-minute shows. And I think that it's just so different from uh, what I'm around and working with. And he does a really good job. So I really like that because it just couldn't be more different to have these little bite-sized nuggets. So I'd say that that's uh, one of the few can't-miss podcasts for me just because it couldn't be more different than my work environment, even though it's the same industry. Yeah, I I listen to your podcast and I I admire anyone that could do it by themselves and just talk and... I mean, do you prefer to do it alone or would you at some point want to have a podcasting partner or do you enjoy both? Uh, I think I like both. I I don't think I've done enough podcasting for me to definitively say what I prefer. I've enjoyed both. Yes, I've had Codebreaker for over a year, but for those that listen to the show, it happens every, I don't know, we've got, I think at maximum I've done two in a month. So well, I, yeah, I'm the last one. The last one he did was like in the middle of February. So we've been waiting for another one. Yeah, it's it's been about a month now. So I I think that just with how infrequently I'm doing it, I still haven't fully determined it. I I, kind of liked in season, I did both. I had a DFS solo podcast on Mondays and then Mike Randall and I did one on Fridays. And I really liked both. I don't think that there's a dynamic where I say I need to have this over this. But I think with the right co-host, like Mike and I had really good chemistry and he's just uh, an amazing host. So I always enjoyed that, but also I think there's something to having your own show where you have full ownership over exactly what's being discussed, the order of it. So at this point, it's just like, it's like having two kids. I don't even know who the firstborn is. We're just going to keep them both for right now. <laughs> no, you, you hit it exactly. Uh, how I, I think about it in a similar term as where when they, they told me they wanted me to do a dynasty podcast and, uh, or, you know, just a weekly podcast in the off season, uh-huh. you need to, first of all, you need to have someone that's crazy and passionate about NFL to be doing the podcast in January through July. I mean, you know, a lot of the space gets crowded again in, you know, in June, July. And I understand that. And I almost enjoy the off season more. I get that vibe from you, but you know what? I I think that your superpower and what player profiler superpower is, and tell me if, if you agree with this or is this obvious or whatever, it's that you guys figured out you're not in the advice business. You guys figured out you're in the information delivery business and you guys are teaching players how to make better choices. Does that sound about right for what you guys are doing over there? Yeah, I would say so. I think that I've talked about it a lot on Twitter. I've made some threads about it that I think the, the reason that I'm full-time and employed is because I'm a good teacher and that I think a lot of people underrate that aspect and that I didn't even realize coming into the industry, how important that was. I just got kind of lucky that that was naturally my skill set, and the industry was like, oh yeah, we want someone that can help teach others to get better at fantasy. So yeah. I think that what's really important is yes, it it's good for it's good for the the listener to feel like they're getting uh getting the the right information, but also what keeps them there long term rather than just purely in season or oh I, I have a tough waiver ad that I have to make week seven. I'm gonna listen to your podcast in week seven. What keeps them coming back is they feel like they're getting better at fantasy football. And yeah. I think there's a, kind of this misconception in the industry that you, you can't reveal your tricks. Uh, do not teach the people how to fish or else you're going to lose them. And I've always thought that's the craziest thing ever because I mean, I, I put in more hours a week 
than anyone that has a full-time job that's not in the industry. So if I can't innovate and help teach people and continue to learn new things and teach, and I'm afraid that I'm going to become kind of flipped where everyone figures me out. as like, oh, he's not learning anything new. We're now learning stuff new. I mean, I'd have to be really bad at my job. If I'm putting in two, three, four, five, ten 10 times as much just time and effort each week into this. So I think that that's always something that I've reminded myself is that you always want to give the people the best information. And that if I'm putting 60 hours a week into this, I mean, I should be fired if I'm not innovating and the, the listeners are like, oh, we've heard this before. Really? You're, you're not researching something new now. So that's kind of been my philosophy over the past year and a half. No, it's, it's working. And you know, it's interesting enough. I, you know, I'd heard of player profile or, you know, I've heard of, you know, Matt and doing his thing for a couple of years. I never really listened to you guys or got into it until we did that when I was working over at roster watch and we did that draft. Right. And then we, we all engaged with each other and it it became playful banter. Uh, Of course, you know, I I took the beating from those guys on the pod and came back, just cut it up. And I, I really, I, what happened was when I first used to listen here and there, I didn't really understand the joke. And then I kind of, got the joke of it it's like you know this kind of goofing on what we do it's like making fun of yourself in a way but at the same time that's just the entertainment value of what we're doing by the way i should do this to be a a good good uh company man here the rotowire dynasty fantasy football podcast is brought to you by winbet winbet digital casino i'm alan saslowski here with josh larkey i'm going to give you a good intro when i do the when i pre-record the intro put it on the podcast so people uh, will know but i'll I'll tell you you know i knew this was going to happen in our slack and our discord uh people were requesting that we had you on here i mean i knew that was going to happen you know we talk about you a lot um you know and they see our interactions from time to time but yeah your information is really good and specifically um I think that you're bringing something new to the best ball space and I am a best ball snob. You know, I'm one of these 70 best ball guys. I think I have it figured out. You know, I cash a little, I don't cash a little, but I, just when I thought I had an edge, I think that you redesigned it a little bit. It, well, you reconstructed what the edge is. So let's just talk about standard one QB. We'll get into the super flex stuff in a, in a minute, but what do you think is, and by the way, let me, before I even say that, do you, what, is best ball your favorite form of fantasy right now? Mine changes. Sometimes it's dynasty, sometimes best ball DFS. What's your favorite form that you're most passionate about today? So in the off season, it's best ball. It's kind of hard for me to think about uh, anything else as my preferred form. I just love drafting and that's what best ball gives you. But I would say that if I, if I could only keep, if I could only keep one, it'd probably be DFS. Oh, I've, interesting. I've gotten really into DFS the past uh, couple seasons. And I think that the, the weekly aspect of it is very interesting to me because I think the, 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 the only qualm that I have with best ball is that I'm putting in money right now. I'm making these teams. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen for what? Nine, 10 months. It, and like- with DFS, it's instant gratification. You find out within you make your line, you, you submit your lineups in the morning. You find out within about nine, 10 hours, what's going on. So I think that that's the, 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 the big advantage that DFS has for me is that instead of nine to 10 months, you figure it out in nine to 10 hours. So, yeah, no, you, you hit it right. And I don't even check my best ball until like week, like 14 and like, Hey, how am I doing here? And then I'm like, okay, this one's eliminated. Click the hide button, click the hide button. And then I, you know, then I'll check again in like week 17, 18, you know, and then I'll just, in the end, I'll, I'll see if I cash. So best ball uh, is the best because one drafting is fun watching, you know, also it's good market research. Cause I could talk about, I know you could do this too, is talk about ADPs without checking the ADPs. Like right now I'm going to, I'm going to show the audience Get, and it doesn't have to be exact, but what's Saquon Barkley's underdog ADP? Uh, one QB, it was around uh, 30 right now. I think it's 47. And right. right. QB. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> this, yeah. this is somebody it, it who drafts ingrained. a couple of times a week. Yes. And, but that's the Intel. It's like knowing your, your dat, your reports. Cause talking about ADPs off the cuff in an intelligent way is research. So uh, I like doing it. And also there's no better way to get ready for your season long drafts, even though it's a little different strategy than to play best ball. So what do you think your superpower right now at best ball is? What have you figured out and that you're doing that you see that you have a little bit of edge every time you enter a contest? So I think there's a few things. So one of them is that I never make dead teams. And what I mean by that is there, there's a super flex best ball tournament going on on underdog right now. And there's always two to four people in the draft room that finish with two quarterbacks. 
and they're often not even very good. And in super flex best ball, you need three elite quarterbacks or four pretty good ones, or else you are just really going to struggle to make up points in a half P I mean, half PPR quarterback score way more proportionally. So there's things like that, where I feel like every single draft, I try not to make a fatal flaw. And I think that too many people actually get caught up with, uh, builds where next thing you know their team's dead and it doesn't matter how great it looked through 10 rounds sorry you're not going to fill out your position groups for all these weeks with bye weeks another edge that i have is i think i'm i think i'm really good at understanding when to take players based on the draft room and i think that just comes from high volume but it's kind of an intuitive skill that i think is kind of difficult to teach but if you're just entering a lot of best ball drafts, you start to understand. And that I can give some basic tips on how to read the room. But I think that when you're in there, especially now that most of these platforms are 30 second clock, I think just having the reps can become such a huge advantage, which is why I tell people, if you're new to a, a best ball platform, do not do a live draft. Enter a couple slow drafts, start to understand the ADP, and then you can live draft because if you're newer to live drafting and it's a 30 second clock, it's going to be impossible for you to adjust on the fly or in these super flex drafts. If quarterbacks start coming off the board a little earlier than you expect, uh, you see a lot of people panic and they'll take a guy multiple rounds before ADP, or they'll be like, Oh, I can't reach at all. And then next, you know, they, they end up with a guy last night in my draft room, Matt Ryan and Zach Wilson as his quarterback room in super flex best ball that is that is not going to fly they're going to have to finish the qb1 and qb2 in fantasy for you to have a chance (laughs) yeah what let me ask you this because this is an argument that i was having with someone else Mm -hmm. because i'm with you you need the the quarterbacks uh i mean because even like a marginal quarterback like matt ryan he'll probably ranked around qb 17 to 20 in most redraft rankings when he comes out right so even if you were to rank him among the wide receivers, like let's say Matt Ryan qualified at wide receiver, like where would you rank him? Like he'd be like wide receiver six, you know, mm-hmm. in any given week, right? Like he's going to have as much, as many points as a top 10 wide receiver. So of course you want that player in your super flex, but here's my question for you. So since it's best ball and you never have to set your lineup, there's always going to be like that Marquez Valdez Scantling type that gets like three catches for a hundred yards and two touchdowns. It's like, and mm-hmm. then your marginal quarterback may not make your lineup. And since you don't have to call the shot, is the two quarterback thing, I mean, I would never do it, but is it a death blow knowing that you can have that random wide receiver go off and fill that super flex spot? So for my research, it is kind of a death blow because uh, we, we have a lot of really good research at this point on one quarterback best ball, especially for the underdog platform where it's half PPR, Quarterbacks relatively score way more points than the other positions, even in one quarterback. You want two elite quarterbacks or three decent quarterbacks. You can't really skate by with, I mean, Zach Wilson, Matt Ryan is probably not even good enough for my research in one quarterback. And that's how I know it's not going to be good enough for super flex. And I think the the reason that uh, the quarterback is so important in super flex that people don't understand And I think this is just good best ball, uh, a good thought experiment in general is think about bye weeks. I don't think enough people think about these bye weeks and that if your team's a little bit more robust at a position like quarterback, that's high scoring week. Remember week seven last year, Herbert, Dak Prescott, it felt Josh Allen, the whole world was on bye. Oh, that was the, uh, the bypocalypse, whatever everyone was calling, right? Where there was like six, like really good fantasy teams on bye. Okay. So, so the bypocalypse hits. There, there's probably a, if you're a robust, a more robust quarterback team that, that has three to four competent starters on your team, you're going to be outscoring other people by potentially 40, 40 points at those two spots, the quarterback and super flex. If you can get two decent starters in there when someone else might not even have a quarterback that week, or they have their, their worst quarterback in the quarterback spot. And then they have the, the, the tight end or the receiver and flex who has one or two catches with a touchdown. So I think those are the types of advantages that not enough people think about is that whenever there's those uh, strange bye weeks, you can lap the field there. And I think people get too focused on just, Oh, week one, here's how the team projects, not thinking about the injuries, but also the, just the idea of bye weeks and that I'm not a, a bye week snob in terms of like, Oh, like 
you can't have too many guys with the same bye week. Right. I'm not as worried about that. I more just want to make sure that on average during a bye week, I'm not just taking zeros all over the place over and over again or taking those those five point weeks. So I think that's a really underrated aspect that's not talked about enough for yeah. a format like Superflex. Yeah, I like that too. Also, because often in these best ball leagues, it's it's not the greatest team that wins that looks good on paper. It's the one that survives. It's the guy who doesn't take zeros at tight ends for six weeks in a row that even you get a few extra points here, points there. So, you know, not going, not drafting your team by bye weeks, but paying attention to things like that. that that's really good too. Uh, let's just take a quick break here to talk about our sponsor, WinBet. We alluded to them before. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor of Rotowire's Fantasy Podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with user friendly interface, moneyline bets, boosted parlays, and now available in nine states. Is uh, sports betting is not uh, not yet in California, right? No, that's that's why everyone sees me with my my underdog fantasy parlay bets in season. Is I'm. <laughs> We're, we're surviving. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost happened in Florida where I am. And then it just was, it was good for a day. And then they took it away there. So the right person must not have gotten their payoff yet. But as I was saying that while rapidly expanding uh, uh, WinBet is the possibilities are limitless register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit, get 200 bucks and free bets. Promotion may vary. Uh, download WinBet Now that's W Y N N B E T WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire fantasy podcast uh i was as grateful as i am to have the sponsors for the podcast i it, it's always you know it's it's always intrusive that i'm talking to someone we're having a good conversation and we have to do it but i am grateful that they uh they want to sponsor the podcast all right i'm with josh larkey from player profiler and josh in the link in the video description below i uh, linked your course now for dummies like me what's our our coding just like give me like the, the talk to like you're talking to my grandmother explain what our coding is for fan and how it relates to fantasy football so the, the way that i talk about r is that it's kind of like excel on steroids and that excel is a great program for most people excel is all that you're going to need you can do whatever you want to do that type of analysis however when people start to get deeper into the analytics space you'll often find that a platform like Excel can be a little limiting mm. and there's only so much that you can do with a deeper analytics when you're pretty much forced to stare at your spreadsheet the whole time. Cause Excel is basically like here, like it is just blaring the info in your face. Here is the spreadsheet. And uh, th that's often great, but sometimes you want to be a little bit more behind the scenes. Sometimes you want something a little bit more flexible. And I think that R is really nice because R is specifically designed to help make long processes really, really efficient. So I'll give you an example. Think of everyone out there who's, if you're a big Excel user, think about when you, when you set up a project in Excel, when you're, you're setting up maybe some VLOOKUPs or you've got multiple tabs open, you're color coding with conditional formatting, you click save and you've done, let's say you've done 50 things and you click save. What if, you realize that thing number four was wrong. Oh, that, you that just affects got it everything wrong else, right, and right. it affects everything else. Mm. What do you do? You might even have to start over. And that the iterating process like that can be so important. R is a lot more flexible and that when you're running a script, if line four is wrong, I can edit line four, highlight the, the 50 lines of code I've written, control enter, and within one second, I am back to where I was, but I have now fundamentally shifted everything. So there's different pieces like that where it's a little bit friendlier to uh, a longer, uh, more, uh, a many, many step process type of analysis. And I think that's really one of the big value adds with R. And also it's free. The, oh, the course is free. I was about to ask you how oh, much is it, but the course so the, is free. Huh? No, the course isn't free. <laughs> R, R is free. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> so the, the course is $75 right oh, now. That's I'm, basically I'm, free. That's basically yeah, free. I'm, I'm, raising the, I'm raising the price. After you should, the you should I, raise it because I'll tell you like, you know, if I, I, you know, I learned video editing over the last couple of mm -hmm. years. Right. And if I had to teach it to someone else, you know, that that's going to take time. And you think of it as this like simple, like, oh, R, I could teach to someone, I put the course up. But that's a valuable piece of information where someone learns R coding, that they're going to be able to turn that into $75 an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so I've actually had a lot of cool success stories where people are using it, not just getting jobs in the fantasy football industry or accelerating 
their career here, but also just outside of the industry because all the analytics concepts I teach, uh, they're just kind of industry agnostic. So yes, if you go to the course, you'll see that our coding site.com, you'll be like, Oh man, it says learn R with football data. Yes. You're learning it with football data because it's intuitive. It's fun. It's engaging. Right. But if you're able to uh, run a simulation for a season, you can probably run a simulation for the stock market and that all the codes are very transferable. And uh, with R, it, R and R studio, they're, they're free and open source. And that means that it's very easy to implement at work. I did it with the Padres. They were not an R shop for their business analytics department. Yeah. They wanted me to bring R there because it's free. It's very powerful and it's open source. And what that means is that anyone can contribute and then you can harness their brain for your work. So I'll give you an example. There are new predictive modeling techniques that come out all the time. I am not someone who's developing those techniques. However, there are incredibly smart people in America, in China, in Brazil, all over the world, people with PhDs. I don't have a PhD. And they are creating new predictive algorithms. They upload them to R and you can run about one line of code with something like R and bring in their model and just take their predictive model and say, thank you. They have donated it to the public. It is now yours. It's free to use. And I think that that kind of power and group innovation just really can't be overstated how important that is. So I, I like the pace that people are pushing uh, the R community as well because it's open source. It sounds like, you know, taking the course will, you know, not only make you a better fantasy football player, but could be translated into other areas, like you said. And, you know, coding, you know, you, you heard, like, remember a couple of years ago when they said, like, oh, the truck trucks are going to be automated. They said, just learn the code, bro. You know, and that's kind of like a joke, <laughs> you know, but you know, coding really is it's, it's job security too. So it's a skill set. Anytime you can learn a new skill set that you can monetize and obviously have fun with. And if you're into data analytics and all that kind of stuff, it's, it, it's interesting to me. And that's why I linked it in our video description below. All right. Um, do you want to say anything else on that before I move on? Um, I was going to say one other thing. If yeah. you do want to get into the industry, I mean, you don't even, if you, if you are like, Oh, I don't like sales pitches. Don't even buy my course. Teach yourself R. Because if you learn a skill like R or Python, one of these coding languages, you will be separating yourself from more than 95% of the, the player go. pool in terms of who wants fantasy jobs. And that if you're trying to be a content creator full-time, you could be competing against thousands, tens of thousands of people for that job. A job like mine, I'm competing with, I don't know, four people. There's just not a lot of people that have this skill set and then choose to go into sports. Pretty much everyone with this skill set is going into finance. And if you're going and wanting to do the fantasy sports industry, it's actually the easiest path is take a few months, learn to code, and then you'll be able to get a job within the year, probably full time. Because I've talked to companies and I know that this is the type of skill set that they're hiring full time for year round. Yeah. You, you know, what's funny. It's like when you make a tweet about, hey, this is what you're you make two different kinds of tweets on your Twitter. You're, you're talking about like the research you've done. Here's the fantasy football actionable intel or here's like a strategy i figured out and then you make other tweets about hey content creators like you're talking to people that want to get into the industry you you do it all the time and those tweets are have less engagement but i love them those are the ones i was like oh yeah those are cool you know so i think that even though and you know uh, people that that are content creators or in the industry they're, they're probably less likely to you know click the like button or this or that but i think that don't be deterred from doing, from saying those type of things, talking about, you know, TikTok and things like that, because I think that that those tweets have a lot of value and it shows, um, you know, the diversity in your tweet game too. So, you know, I, uh, you know, talking about TikTok before, by the way, we're going to talk about, cause the title of this podcast is five dynasty running backs to sell. And we're going to do that any moment now, but I just wanted to talk about uh, social media for a second here and specifically <laughs> TikTok. And, you know, I, I went, I, you know, if anyone hasn't been following Josh on Twitter, it's at Josh, uh, at Jay Larky tweets and on TikTok, is it at Jay Larky TikToks or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's easy to remember. He's keeping it consistent, but uh, you know, about two years ago, right during when uh, the pandemic, when we were all like locked down, I started doing some TikToks then and it's great. Like you get that immediate, like you, you said yesterday, you get some or good organic reach. You don't even need a high follower count to get your video seen by like 20,000, 50,000 people. It's crazy. You know, at the time 
Um, so, but I like what you're doing over there and you, you can experiment on the platform. You could be a little silly, but at the same time, you know, you're giving good, serious information. So anyone who's not signed up on TikTok, I highly recommend you go over there. Uh, I started a Rotowire account on TikTok, which again, you know, just putting out some of the stuff works, some of it doesn't, you know, who cares, right? You just put it up there. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a good experimental platform, which obviously at this point, everybody knows is growing and there's, there's more and more sports content on there. All right, Josh, let, let's talk about, well, I've got one more thing to add yeah. 30 seconds. No, take your, if, you got all the that, time in the world. If, if you heard me talk about coding, you're like, that sounds like the grossest thing ever, but you <laughs> liked the idea of a unique skill set, TikTok is the exact same way. Yes. How many how many tens hundreds of thousands of content creators are we competing with on Twitter? Unbelievable in our space. TikTok, we have almost no competition. There's just not that many of us. So if you're a content creator and you're like I want to get different, I hated the idea that you had before about learning to code, hey, get on TikTok because for some reason there's not a lot of people on TikTok and even without a lot of followers, you can have videos get tens of thousands of views. And it, their, their algorithm is so suited to virality that it doesn't matter how many followers you have. It's basically just what is the average watch time of those early viewers? And if those early viewers have an, a long average watch time, boom, it expands to the next level. And if that next level has an average watch time, that's pretty good. Boom, the next level. And it's unlike any other platform because it is almost entirely merit-based. Yet there's you know no one on it. You know, I am laughing because you, it sounds, you sound like how I sounded pitching the Rotowire guys on why we should open a TikTok <laughs> account. And I, everything you're saying, I'm like, yeah, this, I, you know, <laughs> because anyone, you, no one really understands it until they get on the platform. And then I look at some of my early TikToks that I've done and, you know, I'm like, they're just like uploaded YouTube clips. And then I look at some of the ones where we produced them and, you know, I edited them out a little bit and you're like, oh, okay, this is, you, you learn the platform as you go mm -hmm. and you sort of understand what it is. And people are like, well, so what? So if I get a lot of followers on TikTok, a lot of views, uh, what, that's great for your ego or whatever, but what does that do? Okay. So we're scaling our audience. And then what we're going to do is we're going to bring them over to our long form, our YouTube content or our premium content, but I'd play your profiler or your course. It's basically just giving away tons and tons of value, scaling your audience, building trust, and then bringing them to a place where you can monetize that and continue mm -hmm. to give value. So not everybody understands it yet. I'm glad you do. And I want you to keep talking about it on Twitter. So we, but you know, it, just because you're passionate about it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. you we're in a lockstep here with this with tiktok then oh yeah it's a, right. it has become one of my might even be my favorite social media platform at this point just because it's new and it's exciting uh, yeah dude, and I love it, it. it's much more limitless potential i mean i have i have a lot more followers on twitter than tiktok i've had tiktoks get way more views dude on I, tiktok than when i post the same video on twitter even with 20 times as many followers on twitter TikTok will get me more video views and just let that sink in how crazy that is that you can be new to TikTok and have an established Twitter audience and crush on TikTok even more within a few months. It's crazy. And yes, it's much easier on Twitter to type out your thing. TikTok takes some work because not only do you have to film it, you're totally self-conscious about what you're doing on video anyway, all right? Just because we're we're performers, so we we think everything we do sucks, you know. And then we need that affirmation when we get our views. Listen, we're we're all psychos. I, I get it, but putting out good content that people can use and interacting with, the, I'm with you on lost. I don't want to belabor the point. Um, all right, here we go. We got a couple comments here about the TikTok. I've seen them. TikTok is still way overrated. Okay. Oh my God. All right. All right. We're not, we're not going to convince, we're not going to convince her. We, we can't convince only... everyone. <laughs> it's all, right. all right. Let's talk. Um, I, I think that I know it's like an SEO uh, key search word, all that stuff with, Hey, buy, must sell running backs. But why this is actionable, I think is good is that there are running backs out there, especially in the dynasty landscape that still have perceived value that, you may want to cash out on, uh, I put together a list. I know you may have had a couple names and we don't have to, you know, belabor the point here too much, but I'm curious. And we can also relate these players to best ball and, and where we see them going. Cause I think one of the biggest edges in dynasty for fine, for fine, identifying buy low, sell high, um, is the dynasty rankings and comparing them to what the projected redraft rankings are. So if you see a player that's 30, 40 spots different, 
that could be a sell high or a buy low or whatever. So I'll let you start off. Who was the first player that you wanted to talk about you think is a running back that dynasty players can reasonably think about getting rid of off their roster? So I I like how you set it up because I, I think we're, we're gearing this towards some aging running backs, and I'm, I'm not even going to go in that direction to begin with. We're going to start off nice and spicy. The people want some dynasty fantasy football content. I'm selling Najee Harris. Oh, I mean, what, 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 you can't, I was not, ex- I was not expecting that. Back. I was not I know, expecting right? like, that. Yeah, like, go ahead. Now talk about why. Cause I think I know where you're going here. I, I hope I know where you're going. So one thing that I do not like in my running backs, I don't want them to have to work really hard. It pains me to see how hard Najee Harris had to work in his rookie season. He had over 400 combined rush attempts and targets Think about the potential injuries that can happen. All those collisions. He is working so, so hard. We talk about how the workload can accumulate on these running backs. The last thing I want to see is that my rookie running back, who's already old to begin with for a rookie, is just pounding away up the middle, up the middle. And then you look, and even though he had over 400 combined rush attempts and targets, Najee Harris was the RB6 in PPR points per game. That is doing the least with the most. And why I think he's the perfect sell is because he's 24. And it's like, oh, he's still young. And then I'll I'll give you a thought experiment. Say that Najee Harris pulls the ETN and he misses a year. Mm. Good Lord, would his dynasty value tank and it'd be pretty tough to rebound because now he's going to be 25 and a half. We've already seen that the only way he can have even close to elite fantasy production is with 400 opportunities. ETN, on the other hand, is basically, he's creeping back into the top 10 dynasty running backs already, and he's never played a snap. And it's because he's younger, and he has more of that pass-catching skill set where the dynasty gamer doesn't need to think about ETN, close their eyes and go, okay, is he going to get 400 opportunities because then I think he can be okay in fantasy. With Najee Harris, you truly need him to get the near 100% opportunity share like he had this past season. I just do not like chasing that profile of running back. And I think this is the perfect time because there's still some uncertainty about quarterback. There's still probably some people that are hopeful they'll have a good quarterback. I think there's a decent chance this is just a god-awful offense. Even if it is not and they get a good quarterback, I am still okay getting rid of the 24 and a half year old who still only played one season yet in that season showed that even with a historic running back workload for a rookie just couldn't even crack the top five in points per game. So I'm offloading Najee Harris. Okay. So this is, this is great because I just had a trade offer in my league that I executed and I got rid of Najee Harris. Okay. So this is perfect. That's why I was taken back because everyone yelled at me, but you tell me what you think. I think I got a good deal here. So it's a super flex league and I got Mac Jones and T Higgins for Najee Harris. Are you in on that? Oh, that's total smash. Smash. Right. And it was offered to me. It was offered to me. So um, T Higgins could score more points than him. And you know what? Like I said, it's T Higgins. You can't tell me for sure that T Higgins is not going to outscore Jamar Chase. Obviously, in any draft, we're all going to take Jamar Chase first. But I'm not positive on you know any four week stretch. And we even saw it last year. T Higgins had a two, three, four week stretch where he outscored Jamar Chase. So yeah. Um, all right. Good. So Najee Harris. All right. Mine. Mine are a little more boring. So and that's why I'm not going to go into a big explanation because I want to hear your second one. That one. You know what? Screw mine, because mine were the James Connors, the uh, the Leonard Fournettes, and those are all obvious, right? And you're going to sell those high. But uh, I almost think that as I look at my list, those 27-year-old running backs, the Melvin Gordon types that are like 28, those are almost buys for a dynasty team that has all of their receivers and their and their quarterbacks mostly set. And they don't they don't have opportunities to draft good running backs. It's like you can always get those guys when they land, right? I mean, my dynasty strategy is mostly to in these startups to get a lot of those sure thing receivers, the Justin Jefferson's, AJ Brown type, whoever your your guys are, and then just fill in with the veteran running backs and kind of rotate them through for the obvious reasons. Look, you called Najee Harris old at 24. I mean, say no more, right? Um, and before we get to the next uh, must-sell running back, what is your dynasty startup strategy? How do you play in Superflex Leagues? 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So in super flex leagues, I'm generally trying to get two quarterbacks that are good within the first three to five rounds often like one good running back if possible. And uh, I think aside from that, though, I want to lock up tight end. I want to get some stud receivers. Basically, what I personally, I like to set up the end of the draft where I'm taking flyers on running backs and tight ends. That's kind of what I like because that's generally where the, the guy that came out of nowhere happened. So that through, I don't know, through eight rounds, I'm trying to have my quarterbacks locked up. I want one good running back, maybe two, hopefully a stud tight end, but if not, it's okay. We're going late. And then I want several good receivers that I can build around that I know are going to be very stable dynasty assets where they're, they're generally pre age 27. So they're young enough that they're going to hold value for a while. And I think that that's been a, a strategy that's worked well for me because if you think about who's going late in a startup or what breakout players look like, the, the surprising ones are generally running backs and tight ends. There's not that often that a receiver comes out of nowhere and then just starts absolutely crushing. Yeah. It doesn't I mean, what's happen. the best case scenario for that? Maybe like a Russell gauge is kind of like what your the high end outcome for right. the guy the that was the ultimate outcome was like Victor Cruz when he broke out. And yeah. how long ago was that a decade ago at this point? Right? Yeah. But if we think about running back, I mean, hello, Elijah Mitchell. Yeah. And people will go like, oh, no, but that was a rookie. Okay, he was going at the very end of rookie drafts. You're not, what, what wide receiver that was crushing was going at the end of rookie drafts? Amon Ross St. Brown was going in the second round. Yeah, That's early, not even a, yeah early yeah. second round, middle second round. You, know? you can't compare that to Mitchell, who goes in the, the fourth, fifth round. So there's always going to be players like that. Nobody saw Darren Waller coming. No one saw Logan Thomas coming. No one saw Robert Tunyon coming. There's all these... Uh, tight ends, running backs that come out of nowhere. So that's why I like to tailor my strategy to humility. What am, what do I and pretty much everyone else that plays this game not know? We don't really know who the random running backs and tight ends are. Sure, we can chase the profile, 
But all I know is I want a lot of shots on goal with that type of player, knowing that I'm not, it, it's highly unlikely that the, the receivers I'm taking towards the end of my draft are going to break out like crazy and gain six rounds of startup value where then I can flip them. That's not really how it's going to work. So I understand that the receiver position is fairly replaceable with fantasy points. I, I agree. So then people are like, oh, I just, just wait till the end and take them there. It's like, well, the, the issue with that is that you can only really get the elite, the potentially elite fantasy production from those early receivers and that you're basically locking yourself into 10 points a game when you could be shooting for 15, 16, 17, 18. And it's really the only position that I found where it's just prohibitive that if you don't get them early, you are guaranteed to have weaker production at that position. So that's kind of how my strategies evolved is that I understand the positions that none of us are very good at predicting or fully seeing where the breakout happens. And then it's like, all right, it's a numbers game shots on goal. Let me just fire off picks and cross my fingers that one of them has uh, the right type of profile. And that ends up getting the opportunity and breaking out. Yeah. It's well said because one of the worst parts of any fantasy league is the start sit decisions. Those impossible ones that are 50, 50. And especially when, uh, you know, when people put it on you, right? Like, Hey, who should I start marginal player a or marginal player B You're like, what? <laughs> it's the same thing. Just flip the coin. But you know, you want to give an answer. So you do, but I think that's what taking early wide receiver does. It takes that guessing game. Cause even if Justin Jefferson gets three catches for 24 yards in week one, you're auto starting him in week two. You're not even thinking about it. Whereas if that wide receiver of Robbie Anderson last year, everyone was happy to take him in like the eighth round. If when he does three for 25, you're like, Ooh, I don't know if I could start him like again. And then when he goes off, you put him in your lineup the following week and then he, he does again. So you hit it right on the head there where bankable wide receiver projection, uh, you put them in there because they're set it and forget it. And I also think that's, what's good about the next player that we're going to talk about, which is Zeke Elliott. Um, by the way, you're going to do a, uh, you're obviously going to do a player for the, uh, old, for the world famous draft kit again this year. Who's the player that you're choosing to profile? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I've been, I've done a, a lot of other stuff behind the scenes. I have not claimed a player yet. So claim one, claim we'll, one. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I claimed, I was a homer. I'm a San Diego guy, so yeah. I, I can't shake the Chargers. I claimed Keenan Allen last year. Huh. If he's available, I might do him again. I just, I He'll really like, I like that Keenan Allen ran a four, like a, a mid four sevens and is just absolutely unbelievably dominant yeah. and no one can cover him. And he separates like crazy. I think there's just something to say about the, the guy is just such a tactician. And I think he's one of the most fun receivers to watch because you watch him and you're like, wait, I could do that. And there's not many receivers who are like, oh my God, how is he doing that? He's not, he moves kind of like a normal person, yet he's constantly separating. And I just think that there's nothing more fun than seeing what looks like an average Joe athletically, just absolutely shredding cornerback after cornerback week after week. So it makes me happy. Yeah, always undervalued. He's on always on all my dynasty teams. In dynasty, he just gets pushed down the board, pushed down the board. I'm so happy to take him in every league. And even at 30, like he's going to finish probably as a top 13, 14 on PPR leagues. You know, and every week with Justin Herbert there, you're going to be happy. You wouldn't be bad if someone ranked him in the top seven or eight, you know? So Mm -hmm. uh, the reason I asked is because I picked Zeke Elliott to do for the the player profile or world-famous draft kit. And he is... Definitely a must sell running back in some people's eyes. I see him as a must buy and I want to have this discussion with you. Uh, he'll be my first, um, not must sell, but must buy. But okay. you, do you take him as a must sell, right? Do you think Zeke is a must sell? Can you, no, take- I actually, I'm, right, I'm kind so of can't. on team buy at this point. So Thank, all right, good. So I'm I, can't, I can play devil's advocate. If you no, want no, 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 no. I, I want you to tell everyone why I'm correct here. <laughs> So so what I like about Zeke is that, I mean, he's, he's such a punchline. This is a bloated contract. It's clearly hamstringing the Cowboys. They had to get rid of Cooper. They released a franchise tackle. It's all because of the Zeke contract, right? And then you look at the Zeke contract and it's like, okay, well, everyone's making fun of him because he has this amazingly huge contract where they have to play him. Uh Uh-huh. It's a good offense, and they're going to have to play him. They underlined the, right there. The guy underlined. still had, what, 250 touches last year mm-hmm. playing through a, PCL, a MC, right? PCL or MCL yeah. injury? 
the guy is just going to keep on chugging. And I think that that's the, that's the kind of guy where I'm like, Oh, it's towards the, it's towards the end of the startup in terms of starter ish running backs. Give me Zeke because yeah, the, the guy has shown pretty immaculate health and production as a combo. I mean, even in the worst case scenario, he has a pretty severe knee injury. He's still going to give you usable weeks in dynasty and you can start him. So I, I think he's a, he's a good buy at this point where everyone it, thinks of him as a punchline and that you can probably get him for a, a mid to late second in your leagues. And it's like, Hey, probably this, that's a little, that's a little light. I would say you probably have to give a first, but I'm giving that first round pick. I don't think, you know, cause if you have him on your dynasty team, you don't have someone that if you're just selling him for like a second round pick, you don't really have anyone you can put in there. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So if someone does that, then hey, man, you're the best negotiator ever. But would you give like like one, pick one seven in this draft for him if you needed a running back? Uh no, I don't think so. Okay, so I, I think. Hmm, I so think we're in between. Feel, yeah, I think we're in between. So I think I'm like a I'm a tepid buyer, and you're an aggressive buyer. I think that's I think that's where we're at then. So yeah. why are you so aggressive with Zeke? I just that. You're talking Zeke's an all-timer, right? For fantasy football, he's going in the Hall of Fame, right? When we talk about the best fantasy running backs ever, he's going in. Not because he has the upside that he once did. I mean, even in a bad year last year, Josh, he finishes with the RB7, something like that. And there's one of his skill sets is that this guy is made of armor. He's You don't even worry about him on the midweek injury report. One of the headaches of fantasy is like, oh, this player may not play. I have to pick up this guy off the waiver wire. Just being able to put a player in, in your RB1, RB2 slot, wherever it is, and know he's going to play and listen, so the down weeks were a little lower than we're used to. They were like 11 points. And we didn't get a lot of those like 30 points that we got peak Zeke. But that's fine. The draft cost now is commensurate. I think on underdog, he's in the 40s. I'm taking him in the third round. If I'm picking on the end of round one, I'm going receiver, receiver. And then I'll take Zeke, you know, in my real drafts. And best ball is a little different. But I, I just, there's something about, and I was going to talk about this when you talked about those receivers, being able to put a player in that you know is going to get 18-ish touches and has goal line equity. And the contract, okay, like you you just said it perfectly. I'm good. I might even transcribe this to use in my video for the player profiler, if, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll credit you. But <laughs> it just knowing that you have this guy that's going to get 235, 250 touches last year, 47 catches, Josh, that's right on his, his career average. He had 71 year. He had like 35 in there, but most of the time he gets around 45, 50 catches. That is money in the bank. And for 2022, how am I getting that in the late third, early fourth round? It just doesn't exist without, without uh, risk. And there, uh, there's no risk. What is the risk of him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I, I think you said it well. It's, I think he's a he's a very safe asset in terms of the production he gives you. I think if you're playing purely a value game, he's going to keep losing value year after year. Yes. But I think that in terms of what you're getting, his he's the type of player where it seems like his production is just going to dwarf whatever other people perceive. And that's why I do think that he's a good buy is that the production is probably going to be above the value for the next two seasons. All right. We'll, we'll hustle along here. Who's your second must sell running back in dynasty fantasy football? So this one, we're all right. I've, I'm caving. We're going with an older running back. That's fine. This running back, he's 27. And I think that there was a very underrated thing that happened this offseason that not enough people are talking about or factoring into their fantasy football decisions. And that is the restructuring of Aaron Jones' contract. Aaron Jones was already, there were already warning signs. They drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round. Next thing you know, A.J. Dillon's getting a lot more work. He's getting more goal line carries. He's getting more targets. He's kind of getting a lot of the high-value touches that Aaron Jones needs because unlike someone like uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Aaron Jones is not a workhorse back. He's smaller. He's uh, much more of the the high-volume change-of-pace type back. And what I worry about with Aaron Jones, they restructured the contract. It looks like this will be his final year in Green Bay. And a low-touch running back not tied to a Hall of Fame quarterback, suddenly looks a lot less appealing to me. And sure, he might give you some good, not great production this year. I don't know. He just he doesn't even have that elite ceiling anymore. We, we just saw it this past year with Dylan. There, there is no elite ceiling with Aaron Jones. And thought experiment, if he gets injured this year, game over. Yeah, Because now he's losing his final season with Aaron Rodgers, and he's going to be a... 
He's going to be cut free agent running back at age 28 coming off an injury. And he's going to have absolutely zero value. I just don't see the upside when I don't think this guy is going to win me a league. And he, all of his value is tied to the year that he can't even win you the league. So I don't think his dynasty value is taking enough of a hit and people just don't quite realize what they're dealing with. I mean, I, I've been struggling in a couple leagues to sell this guy because I was always a big Aaron Jones guy. And now I, I am offloading him for pretty much whatever I can. I'm looking at some early seconds mm. and I'm like, man, if you give me the 201, 202, you can just have Aaron Jones. And I, that's, that's worked in some leagues where people go, oh yeah, it's, it's Aaron Jones. She signed this massive three, four, five, whatever it was, five-year extension without looking at the contract and realizing that his days in Green Bay are limited to just this season. In the dynasty rankings um, that I put out, I mean, I massage them every week or so just to make sure they're okay. But I have Dylan above Aaron Jones, not because I think he'll outproduce him this year, but just because I think that, you know, when you look at dynasty, some people say, oh, what's going to happen for the next five years? I tend to look at dynasty in two, maybe three seasons sometimes. But over the next two years, I think that Dylan is a reasonable bet, probably a better pick. You like that? Would you take Dylan over Aaron Jones at this point? If you were in like, yeah, sixth, seventh round of your you know, your draft, whatever you need a running back. Yeah. I think the, the way that you can think about it very simply is who's, who's going to have more fantasy points this year. I don't know. Do you know? I no. don't think either of us know. And then you look at the, the contract and the age difference. AJ Dillon's going into year three on his rookie deal. Aaron Jones is out of green Bay after this year. And it's like, Oh, if we already don't even know who's going to score more fantasy points and people still value them similarly, just give me the guy that's younger who has much more value insulation. AJ Dillon hurts himself this year. Doesn't matter. Aaron Jones is gone in 2023. AJ Dillon's still under contract. Like there's, there's that little ripcord that you can pull with Dillon. So I think his value is so much more insulated and I just don't even know who's going to score more fantasy points. Yeah. You said something earlier about, um, I, I like that take too. And, and AJ Dillon, I'd rather have him more than right now than I think than Saquon Barkley. I know that's, you know, kind of hot taking. You don't have to, you can get them both because you can take Barkley earlier, but I just think straight up, uh, I like what you said there. Um, I'd rather have him certainly over like guys like JK Dobbins because AJ Dillon goes like three rounds later, you know, there's mm-hmm. less risk. So I right, got a couple you mentioned Keenan Allen earlier. Uh, we had a question in the chat that I thought was an interesting one. Would in a dynasty sense, would you rather have Mike Williams or Keenan Allen if you were in a startup draft right now? Oh, that's tough. That's a good question, uh, right? Because it's Keenan Allen's awesome. Mike Williams, the new contract. They're both playing with Herbert. I mean, it, you know, we've seen Mike. Remember last year, the first like four weeks, Mike Williams was like wide receiver two. I mean, we saw the upside. Mm-hmm. So. I think I would. That's really difficult. I think I might lean Mike Williams at this point. I think they're neck and neck. The reason that I think I would give the edge at this point to Mike Williams is that in addition to being a little bit younger, we actually saw the elite production. He was the wide receiver 13 per game in PPR. And this was also, I know some people are like, oh, he faded down the stretch. Mike Williams didn't fade down the stretch. Wide receivers do not have stable production week to week. Mike Williams, I believe he had 18 targets in week 18 or 17 targets in week 18. He had had nearly 20 targets in their must-win game against Vegas that Mike Williams is a good he's a focal point of the offense and also that up and downness that wide receiver 13 are we sure that's his ceiling because that was year one in a new role I, I had a tweet at some point where I just posted his target share and average depth of target by season and this past year the average depth of target was down 40 50 percent and the target share was up about 40 percent totally new role and even when adjusting on the fly he crushed it wide receiver 13 per game my goodness i'm excited for mike williams i think he has a yes keenan allen probably the the safer more stable production you kind of know what you're getting but i i like taking the swings when i know that i've already seen the upside i don't think people take into account enough that mike williams basically had a low-end wide receiver one type season in his first year in a new role with a new coach. So yeah, I, I'm going to give the edge to, uh, to Mike Williams. Yeah. For a long term. And I think that, you know, Mike Williams, Cortland Sutton, these are names that are going to start moving up, up, up as this draft season goes on. Uh, you know, first time you see a training camp pass where Russell Wilson drops it in the bucket to Cortland Sutton on the sideline. Oop, here we go. Third round, right? <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, yeah. we got a few minutes left. Okay. 
We're here with Josh Larkey. You can follow him at Jay Larkey Tweets and, of course, at Jay Larkey TikToks on TikTok. Uh, I just have a couple of e- – oh, here's a little question I had for you. Where are you on kickers and defenses in leagues? Because I'm ba- in all of my leagues that I'm in right now, basically have dropped the kicker and defense, and I was a proponent of that. And now I kind of miss it a little bit. I'm still like in maybe one or two leagues. So what do you think about kickers and defenses? Should they be in your seasonal leagues? So I think it kind of depends what you want. I think if you want uh, kind of something that's a much more uh, skill-based overall, then those are not necessarily the most skill-based positions. And I, I think that's kind of why I am not as big of a fan as the, of the kicker and defense. I already have to put up with defense and DFS. It's annoying. It's annoying. <laughs> so I, I just don't really like the positions where there can be so much variance and that you're not even quite sure how it happens. And sure, it's not like they're 100% unpredictable. You can generally separate a good from bad kicker in a week or a good from bad defense. But the problem is that the spikes can just be so strange and so drastic. And the way that the scoring is set up with defense, if they get a, a pick six or something, next thing you know, the, the whole matchup can swing when you weren't really starting that defense because you were expecting the pick six. So I think there's just a lot of ways where it's already a very, very luck-filled game. Yes, good people, good fantasy players are generally good at fantasy year after year because there's edges to be had, but there's also luck out there. And you're basically saying like, oh, I see all this luck. Let's just bring a lot more of it into our league when you have kicker defense. If you're in a pretty casual league and that's kind of what you're looking for is the ultimate uh, parity at times with that, then sure, you can keep them in. But I think when there's more money on the line, I generally defer away from kicker and defense because I just don't like my money getting as tied up in something that is as unpredictable as kicker and defense. Yeah. And to illustrate your point, like if you knew ahead of time, like if I gave you the answers to the test, which kicker was going to be kicker one on the year, you would draft that kicker in like round three or four because there's such an edge over the field, but not knowing who it's going to be. That's why kickers and defenses go at the end of drafts because at any given season, kicker nine could be kicker 15 the next year and kicker 15 could be kicker one. So there's really no skill in, prog- you know, in, in predicting that. Whereas, yeah, of course, yeah, Justin Tucker, uh, Evan McPherson, they'll go kicker one, kicker two. And I think we spent way too much time on kickers already, but I, I like that take. When, when it's serious fantasy football, let's take as much of the luck element out and keep it as a skill-based game. All right, last question for you here. And if, if I, uh, well, here, let me just ask it. If you could, if the NFL, if you could change one rule in the NFL to make the game better or whatever you think, what would that rule be to make the NFL game? You could, even if it's just a little tweak, what does the NFL need to do? Change one rule, Josh. So I, I really like college overtime, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to use that as a cop out. I think we'd all say, get, give the college overtime rules to the NFL. Just have them trade drives back and forth. I think it would be really fun to have instead. I think you could have the optional special teams. I've never loved special Mm. teams because it just seems like a nice way for these young, hungry players to sprint into each other and hurt themselves Mm. trying to compete for these very small contracts. And I understand special teams is where these guys end up getting into the league as it's like their, their gateway into the NFL is through special teams. I think there could be new ways for us to make sure that those players still have some type of job. But I like the idea that uh, inst- instead of a kickoff that there, you just start with the ball at a certain line of scrimmage and that depending, you could do cool stuff where it's like, depending on how your last drive went, that's how the, the other team starts their drive. And I think you could have some really cool competitive games where if you score a touchdown and you're winning, the other team gets the ball at midfield. And that you could have really cool stuff like that. So I don't know if that's a long-term sustainable strategy, but no, I would love there. to see a season like that. I think we, we got a taste of it in the playoffs when you see like the, the Chiefs and the Bills trading touchdowns. I don't think there's anything more fun than watching the just dominant athletes airing it out to other dominant athletes. So I like the idea of just having even more opportunities for these pass plays. And I think that could be a fun way to do it where you're also preserving potentially preserving the health of some of these younger guys, because there's nothing I hate more than seeing the young guys that, um, Oh God, what was it? Kylan Hill 
really mm-hmm. liked Kylan Hill as a prospect. The, the, the seventh round running back that's on Green Bay, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Seventh round Green Bay running back. I don't know if he's ever going to play football again in the NFL. Uh, nasty ACL tear on special teams where a guy basically sprinted 20 miles an hour and dove into his knee with his helmet. His, his career may be over. So I think that the special teams, I just do. I know it's a, it's like a, Oh, like he's a soft analytics guy. I'm sorry. Don't love the special teams. Well, you're not just saying take it away. You're, you're offering a suggestion on how to make it better. You're saying, Hey, we can make this better and take some of the unnecessary danger out of the game. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. Another, by the way, to, to add on, you're talking about overtime. uh, What I think you could do is that in the regular season only, if the overtime runs out, both teams get a loss. Forget a tie. You get a loss. Both teams would get an L on their record. Oh, that's a good one. So, you know, there would be more you're, – you're going for the win instead of just playing for the tie. We've seen that a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one that my colleague – my former colleague Chris List said this one is, you know, like when you're backed up on like the four-yard line and you get to say a procedure penalty, it's half the distance backwards, but it's only like a two-yard penalty. What he said was when you have a penalty and you're backed up – don't move them back. Just move the first down marker 10 yards further away. Oh, I like that one too. It's <laughs> a good one, right? I can't take credit for that one. Josh Larkey, you were a good sport, man. You came on the podcast. Uh, I love talking to you. I love interacting with you. I, I really uh, appreciate uh, the vibe and the energy that you bring to the fantasy football space. Uh, I've been wanting to get you on here for a long time. Uh, you could go follow him at Jay Larkey tweets. I'll put all of his links in the video description below. Uh, you can follow him on. T- I'll put everything, all the TikToks. I'll put everything on there. Uh, let, let's uh, please come back again in a few months. I'll ask you back. And uh, I just enjoy talking football with someone who's passionate about it. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I uh, would love man. to come back over the summer at some point. We can, we could talk once it's a full redraft season. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, this was a, I'm on the West coast. It's nice and early for me. And this was a nice way to start my morning. So Man, I, I don't think I've done an early podcast before, but I might have to do this again. I, yeah, I'm feeling it, energized. It Right. It's like sunshine in your face, man. A good, you know, I, sometimes when I get a little content fatigue and then I get a conversation like this with, you know, with you, with Co- I've had Cody on a bunch of times on the mm-hmm. podcast, I just get all juiced up again. I'm like, yes, I cannot believe we yeah. do this, man. So, all right, everybody, we'll see you next Monday. We got Dalton Del Don coming on from Yahoo, man. Good one. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to him. He's got he has Tony Pollard ranked above Zeke Elliott. So I'm gonna have to really get into it with him next week, Justin. So I'm gonna I'm gonna clip your clip. I'm gonna play it for him and then I'm gonna add on top of it and see what he has for us. All right, everybody. We'll see you next Monday on Rotowire. Don't